You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. We're back on the NBA Beat. This is Aaron Fishman. I'm joined by Lauren Lee Chen. And today we're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, two teams that we recently did interviews on. And then we're also going to do some midseason stuff, given that Many of the league's teams have played approximately 40 or 41 games thus far. First, Lauren will talk about the Phoenix Suns. Their slide continues. They've lost 14 of their last 16. Their defense has looked atrocious. Three losses in a row. They only have two wins since mid-December. It's definitely promising that Devin Booker's been getting lots of opportunities to shoot the ball. He's clearly learning on the fly. But Markeith Morris is still not traded, so he's on that team still. And it, they're just rebuilding. They're plain and simple. There's no other way to say it. Tyson Chandler's contract really is not good, Lauren. What do the Phoenix Suns do with him right now, do you think? He's just not playing that much anymore. He's not grabbing rebounds. He's not really doing much of anything. Yeah, that's the exact problem with Tyson Chandler. When... Phoenix signed him to that big contract over the offseason, four years, $52 million. I think there was an expectation that he was a guy that could come in and anchor their defense, even if he's not up to the caliber of player that he was back in his big season in 2012 with the Knicks. They thought he could be the type of defensive anchor that their team had lacked in previous seasons. And somehow it just seems like his age caught up to him. He's 33 years old. So as for what they do with him, I really don't know what kind of options they have because they're going to be hard-pressed to find any trade avenues for someone who's getting paid $13 million a year, whose contract goes until he's 37, three more years after this one. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to be wanting to take that on. It's difficult also because it's not entirely his fault. The team defense is just miserable, and that makes him look especially bad as the guy in the middle protecting the basket. But um, Andrew Lynch talked about this in the interview. It seems like the energy, the passion's not there. And really, who could blame him with this team that's clearly now rebuilding? It's hard to get energized, I'm sure. But they're going to have to figure something out with him. But um, I agree with what you said, that it's probably going to be hard to move him. Another decision that the front office will have to make in the near future is what to do with Jeff Hornacek. He has one more year on his contract, but it's a team option. So technically, if they just let him ride out the rest of the year and then part ways, they're not owed any more money. But then again, do you think that there is any reason or rationale for getting rid of him during the season. And if you have your, the candidate that you want to get a jump start on the season, or what do you think are, are their options and what do you think they'll end up doing? I don't know how I feel about getting rid of him during the season 
I'm not sure if you're going to attract any sort of high caliber type coach into your team on that kind of hire. That said, you could just want to complete the purge of that coaching staff, get rid of Hornacek and ride out the season with an interim head coach and try with a new start in the offseason. To be honest, it's pretty clear that Jeff Hornacek has lost that roster and I'm not sure where they go with him, but I also am not sure if just letting him go immediately is the right decision either. Yeah, I think that they're going to have to let him ride out the rest of the season. They seemed committed to that when they got rid of all the the lead assistants. Like they were kind of, I thought, letting them take the fall in a sense. Clearly, it's his responsibility what's happened to this team, even though you can't obviously solely put the blame on him. I think they're going to have to move on from him. I do think it would be the most prudent move to just wait until the offseason. I think the the most important point that you raise is the caliber of coach that you'll attract. If they want a high-caliber coach who they're going to be able to build with over the next three-plus years, I think that they're going to have to wait until the offseason to find that coach. The problem, though, is that if you let Jeff Hornacek ride out the season, I don't know how motivated he is going forward. Now that his coaching staff has been completely gutted, he knows that he's essentially a lame duck coach right now. I think there's relatively, unless something drastic changes, there's relatively low chance, almost zero chance that the Suns will pick up his team option. So I don't know how much motivation he has to even try to get the team back on the right track, except for what it means for his future prospects with other teams. Yeah, I don't know if that really matters, though, because they're not going anywhere this season. And so the front office may prefer them to finish with a a poor record anyway. But I do think you always have incentive just representing yourself in future job opportunities. So I think he's going to want to obviously be professional, finish out the season strong. He'll probably play the young guys a lot, not necessarily because he owes the franchise anything, but just because that makes the most sense in this situation. Let's move to the Denver Nuggets. That was our other interview that week when we doubled down with the interviews. And they've gone 2-1 and one since we did the interview, including a huge win over the Warriors. Yes, Draymond Green didn't play, but it's still a big win. Gallinari went 17-19 of 19 from the line. The Nuggets out-rebounded the Warriors by 10. They also ended up winning despite their point guards, Moutier and Jameer Nelson, combining to shoot 2 of 17 from the field. And they did that by getting to the line. The Warriors clearly weren't the same also without Draymond Green. But regardless, Denver's looking better. Nurkic had an injury setback. He hurt his ankle, so he'll be out now for a little bit. But what do you think are some realistic and achievable goals uh, for Emmanuel Mudiay and the Denver Nuggets? He's also returned since we did the interview, and he's looked up and down over the last three games. Let me start with the Nuggets. As Justin pointed out on our interview, they're a promising team that seems to lose focus possibly for maybe about a quarter per game during which they just get blown out, but otherwise they're able to hang with these good teams. We saw them beat the Warriors earlier this week, and the Warriors were missing Draymond Green, as you mentioned, but they're still a good team without him, and so that's a quality win. And 
they barely lost to the Heat, and most of that came in the third quarter where the Heat outscored the Nuggets by a lot. Before that, the Nuggets had a big halftime lead. Yeah, they were up by 16 at the half. Hassan Whiteside had a triple-double in that game. So for the second half of the season, I would like to see them build on that, just get their young players some more repetitions, and try to just be consistent within games and from game to game, because that's something that they've been lacking, I think, this season. They get up for some games, and it seems like some other games they just don't bring it, and they have a bad loss to not that good of a team. Yeah, you were talking about losing focus for stretches at a time. Against the Miami Heat, they blew that big halftime lead where Bosch and and Whiteside just came alive. But the Nuggets, moving forward, they're going to have to put four quarters together. It's a cliche, I know, but it's true. And that's a challenge that, for a lot of young teams, is a difficult one because a lot of times you come out energized or, or you figure it out when it's already too late. And it'll be interesting to see if they can develop those young guys, have them playing consistently. Defense is another issue, though, for them. Their defense hasn't been that great this season, and it's something that uh, in recent years has also been a problem. The head coach in his first season, Mike Malone, wherever he's been, he's emphasized defense, the importance of it, and he's tried to bring that to Denver. You can see also with the makeup of this roster that they have a lot of defensive-minded young big men. What do you think they need to do to improve defensively to finish this season and and bring momentum into the following year? Well, I think there is going to be a natural improvement of the defense because, as you mentioned, a lot of the key players on this team are young players, first and second years, who do have a bit of a defensive pedigree. Earlier on this season, a lot of the problem was because of Nurkic's injury, and it's sad that he's out again now, they were resorting to playing Kenneth Fareed at center for large stretches of time, which he's not a good defensive player in general, and especially at center, he gives up a lot of size, and that will naturally just hurt them a lot. They lose a lot of rim protection. But as the young guys like Laverne and Jokic get more comfortable with the NBA game and able to play more minutes and hopefully Nurkic comes back and is able to reclaim his starting role I think naturally they'll get much better because of that yeah two teams that appear headed in different directions the Nuggets and the Suns the Nuggets have some hope it seems like as we enter the midway point of the season Phoenix not as much but both very young rosters that do have bunch of players with potential but we'll end it there an exciting discussion with both andrew lynch and justin fadre and we'll be back with another segment to talk about some of the mid-season awards that we're giving out here on the podcast and just some of the teams that haven't yet appeared on the show Welcome back, listeners, to our second segment. As we mentioned earlier in this episode, we're about halfway through the season, 
We're also about halfway through covering all the teams in the NBA. We've gotten through 13 out of the 30 teams. We have the Raptors coming up next week, so that should be an exciting episode. But for some of the leftover teams that we haven't gotten to, Aaron, do you want to just give a couple quick hits about a couple of them? Yeah, Kristaps Porzingis for the Knicks has been doing really well as the season's progressed. He was a player who was booed notoriously at Madison Square Garden when his name was announced. And he's been doing so well that there have even been calls to get rid of Carmelo Anthony, which I think is is definitely premature. But he's an exciting young player, so young. He's rebounding and blocking shots too. He's hitting his shots from the perimeter. So I like him. A guy that's been going in the opposite direction, not playing very well since really the beginning of December for Cleveland is Kevin Love. And it hasn't just been since Kyrie Irving's returned because obviously there's a potential for Love's scoring output to decrease when Irving returned. But it's not just that. Even when Kyrie Irving was sidelined, Love was just not hitting his shots. He's just overall making much less of an impact than you would have hoped out of him. I don't think that they should get rid of him. I think he'll be important going down the stretch for Cleveland. But there definitely are concerns over why he's just not contributing as as much as anticipated. You have some teams that you wanted to discuss, right? Yeah, I'll just quickly highlight two more teams that we haven't discussed in detail yet this season. The Rockets and the Magic. First, I don't think it's a secret on the show that I'm a Houston Rockets fan. The expectations were so high for them coming into the season, coming off of their Western Conference Finals appearance last year. And they were one of the teams being talked about as a possible championship contender for this season. I'm not really sure where the problem is for this team, whether it's with the players or with the coaching. And they did let go of former head coach Kevin McHale earlier on this season and replace him with interim head coach J.B. Bickerstaff. But there just seems to be some sort of mental disconnect for this team between their actual strengths, what they're actually good at, and how they play on the court. They have the second most isolation plays by percentage in the league behind the Lakers, which on its own in today's NBA with the sophisticated defenses is not somewhere you want to be. But even considering that, in terms of scoring frequency out of the isolation, they're not even that good. They're bottom 10 in the league. So they have a lot of issues to work out. Yeah, Houston has definitely underwhelmed And Orlando has played above expectations, in my opinion. A lot of young talents on that roster, but I think the big question was, are they going to defend? And can they put it together with the young talent this season? So far, they have, Lauren. Yeah, we kind of predicted that there would be a bit of a bump for Orlando coming into this season because of the hire of new head coach Scott Skiles. It's the type of thing you typically see during Skiles' first season with a new team, especially a young team. He tends to whip them into shape, work them really hard, get everyone going on the same page, especially on the defensive end, and is really able to extract a lot of effort out of them through seemingly nonstop yelling. Now, usually by the end of the third season, under his tenure, the team tends to get tired of that. He works them too hard, he yells too much. And the team, after a few years, they're less willing to subject themselves to that. But at least for the first season, the Scales bump is real. Yeah, I'll pick him for my coach of the year, even though 
they're really just about 500. So we don't know how the season is going to turn out for them. But just because of the incredible improvement that we've seen out of them record-wise and on the defensive end, Scott Skiles is my midseason coach of the year. Who are you going with? For coach of the year, I would have to say Popovich. I think the award could go to him pretty much every year. But this season, the Spurs are flying a little bit under the radar, less so now than they were earlier on in the season when the Warriors were on their huge win streak. But they have a historically good defense in terms of defensive rating and in terms of points per game. And you also have to look to the improvement of Kawhi Leonard. I think it just speaks to that entire organization and the tutelage of Popovich, how he's been able to get these players to year after year buy into the system, sacrifice their individual stats. And again, the Spurs are one of the best teams in the league, one of the top two teams in the league. Yeah, Popovich has worked with this team for so many years. Skiles is in his first year, but I think you win that argument, though. Not only are they one of the best defenses in recent memory so far this season and easily the best this year and Kawhi Leonard has improved significantly as you mentioned they've also integrated LaMarcus Aldridge into their roster they've had so much continuity over the years and the makeup of this team is changing just so much with Tony Parker and Tim Duncan taking fewer shots LaMarcus Aldridge now on the team and Kawhi Leonard becoming emerging into that offensive superstar it's really hard to go wrong with Popovich as coach of the year I think MVP is pretty straightforward right yeah I don't I'm not sure if he's going to be a unanimous MVP but I think Steph Curry is head and shoulders ahead of the competition right now other candidates I could see Kawhi Leonard who we've mentioned before he's an elite elite defender and this year he's added his three-point percentage is something ridiculous. For a it's while, like it was hovering, yeah, right. It's, it's over forty percent, almost fifty percent for the season. Most improved player is I have CJ McCollum as my most improved player. Although I do have some issues with how this award is given out because I I don't think CJ McCollum necessarily improved that much from last season. I think he's just been given a lot more opportunities. He's been getting more minutes. And that's allowed him to showcase his talents. And there's just a natural growth as you get more experience in this league. But in terms of numbers, I don't think it could be argued that CJ McCollum has, at least on a per game basis, improved a lot. As expected, Portland's dropped off as far as record goes. They lost Aldridge, Wes Matthews, Robin Lopez, Nick Batum. But that's just given a prime opportunity for McCollum to show his stuff like he did in the playoffs last year. So I'm excited for him and excited to see him continue to flourish. And my sixth man of the year could go to Ryan Anderson. I'm going to go with Will Barton. Neither guy is playing on a very good team this year so far. But Will the Thrill Barton, he's been doing big things off the bench for Denver when they've really needed it the most. They've been beset with injuries. And so he's been a bright spot in a little bit of a disappointing start to the season for Denver. But like we said earlier, there's definitely ample reason for hope. Yeah, I think for six man of the year, 
a lot of the perennial candidates that we usually get for this award, your Jamal Crawford's, Isaiah Thomas, or Manu Ginobili, they're either not playing as well this season because of they're they're all getting a little bit older, or in Isaiah Thomas's case, he's starting now for the Celtics. So, or in Lou Williams' case, he's on the Lakers, right? And just not very good this year. Yeah, so I think we could see a new face for that award. And speaking of new faces, who would you choose for Rookie of the Year? That's a tight competition, I think. Yeah, and it wasn't tight at all early on in the season. I mean, some people would say Jaleel Okafor had a shot, but I don't really, I don't like him that much for it. Even though he's averaging over 17 points per game, I think it comes down to Carl Anthony Towns and Kristaps Porzingis. Porzingis has really come on as of late. So if the season ended today, which thankfully it does not, I would take Carl Anthony Towns. But uh, right now, Porzingis is gaining on him. So if the Knicks and Porzingis continue to play well and they make the playoffs as a 6, 7, 8 seed even, I, mean, I don't think they'll be as high as 6, but who knows? If they continue playing well and he continues playing well, I could see him winning that award. He's also a defensive force. He's not just a guy that impacts the offensive end. So that's why I see him as, as challenging Carl Anthony Towns potentially. Yeah, I agree. I think Carl Anthony Towns has a narrow lead right now. Uh, I think both of them are very good at defense, actually. The only reason I would give possibly Perzingis a little bit of an edge is that, as you mentioned, he's on a better team. And I think his role, even within that team, obviously is second fiddle to Carmelo Anthony, but he does get a lot of focus on him, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Let's go a little bit more quirky and offbeat just to finish it. We'll do best hair. I'll start. I'm going to say Alfred Payton. Not because I necessarily like the hair. I just I just have to pick it because it's so confounding. I just always stare at it and I'm trying to figure out what in the world is living on his head. Kind of reminds me of The Weeknd, the musical artist. But he just, he runs so fast. He's so athletic, yet it stays perfectly in place. I have to find out what he's doing with that hair. Alfred Payton is definitely a good pick for best hair. I have to give a shout out to my boy Jeremy Lin. His hair has gone through a few evolutions over the course of the season. He had that spiky look coming into the season. Some games he's gone to the weird like slick back ponytail look. And he said that it's not even his final form. He's in a middle stage of growing out his hair for some hair experiment that he and his buddies are all doing. And this is just a middle form where he's just playing with it while (laughs) it's not long enough yet. Way to build the suspense. Some other shout outs that I have to give though, George Hill's Cisco type hair. That's an interesting thing to see on the court whenever you see them play. I really like Jay Crowder's hair. It just looks really heavy, (laughs) really wide dreads. It's always confusing to me when I watch him play how he could play with that on his head. (laughs) And I think that's it. Thanks again for listening to this show, our mid-season special where we talked about some awards and also about the Suns and the Nuggets. Hopefully you'll tune back in next week when we'll have Holly McKenzie on from Sportsnet.ca to talk about the surging Raptors and how their season's going. Thanks for listening. 